No Directions Gen Con 2019 seminar coverage is brought to you by Roll for Combat's new Fall of Plaguestone Pathfinder 2e actual play podcast. Featuring Stephen Glicker, Jason McDonald, Rob Tremarco, and No Directions own Lauren Sig and Vanessa Hoskins. Find it and other Pathfinder and Starfinder podcasts, interviews, and reviews at RollForCombat.com. No Direction presents our Gen Con 2019 seminar coverage in partnership with Paizo. We'd like to thank our seminar team, Lauren Sieg, James Ballad, Vanessa Hoskins, and me, Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param. We'd also like to thank Peyton Smith from Paizo for helping getting this produced. This content and more great seminar coverage, as well as Pathfinder and Starfinder content, is available at NoDirectionPodcast.com. Hello, folks. Thanks for coming. If you're here, this is the Pathfinder AP seminar. Feel free to grab a seat. If someone wants to hit those doors, that would be excellent. How many of you here were here for the last panel? Okay, a couple of you. Well, then you heard the big news that we've announced our next AP. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Once, One, once we're once approved we, to actually once, speak. Yeah, 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 that's right. So uh, why don't we just go around and introduce ourselves. Once start. we're approved to speak. All right, we're good. Yeah. All right, in that case, I'm Ron Lundin. I'm an adventure path developer um, for the Pathfinder Adventure Paths. Patrick Creaney, same job description. I'm uh, Adam Daigle. I'm the managing developer, but whenever I was just a plain old developer, I was working on the adventure paths. Yeah. And so, I'm just uh, legacy yeah. here. That's really the yeah. We, well, we had to wrap the old school, right? Yeah. So you can point yeah, all, all your uh, Rise of Rune Lords questions for Adam. Uh, I've got my James Jacobs puppet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. We're just going to be chatting about uh, adventure path stuff and what we're excited about, what's coming up. Um, I think Ron's probably a good person to, to kick us off with some uh, extinction curse details. Maybe? Sure. 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 Um, we announced at uh, PaizoCon um, the. Well, let, me, let me back up one step and say Age of Ashes, the first volume of Age of Ashes available downstairs now. It uh, kicks off the very first second edition adventure path, mm-hmm. um, starting with Age of Ashes and through Extinction Curse and, and onward. Um, the plan is to have all the adventure paths go from first level to 20th level. Um, and uh, Extinction Curse, the second adventure path, is no exception. Uh, we announced it at PaizoCon. It's the one where the characters are all part of a traveling circus. Um, in the very first adventure, the ringmaster has been found murdered, and the, the uh, heroes are the only ones to be able to start take on the role of leading the circus. And then later around the Isle of Portos, um, some of the key the key driver there is some very very angry Zolgaths, um, which is what we're calling troglodytes under the new edition. Um, we've done this for a lot of our a lot of our monsters. We've evaluated what it is people call them. Um, versus what they call themselves, and we've quit calling for you know they could what well, we used to call the dark folk or now the caligni. They don't call themselves dark folk; they call themselves caligni. Same with Zolgaths. That's the the name that they've used for themselves for a long time. Um, same stinky lizard monsters, uh, but they're very angry uh, and trying to stop a uh, Zolgath, trying to wipe the Isle of Cortos and everything on it, including the city of Absalom, uh, free of uh, life is what you're trying to stop as you're traveling around um, the magical towers. The, uh, we got some of the art in for the first of the uh, uh, Extinction Curse, about uh, the PCs in a circus. I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah, the iconics for that are going to be uh, Linny and Fumbus, who's there, um, Amiri, who you might expect, um, Penny Bars, Strong Woman, um, and then Harsk, the ranger. Um, we have uh, six adventures that are there. The, uh, let me run, run down for the six of these. The first one is called The Show Must Go On by Jason Tondro. 
uh, takes you from level one to level four. Uh, Legacy of the Lost God by Jenny Jerzabski is levels five through eight. Um, a lot of that involves some of the legacy of Aridan that he left behind on the uh, Isle of Kortos. Um, and then Life's Long Shadows uh, by Greg Vaughn. Uh, a lot of that is travel around the breadbasket of uh, the Isle of Kortos. Um, and a lot of the little towns that are there. It's a real traveling part of the traveling circus. Does the most in-adventure uh, traveling there. Um, things go wrong in one town in the fourth adventure called Siege of the Dinosaurs uh, by Kate Baker. Um, requiring the heroes to go a little, uh, little, quite a ways deep underground to find out exactly what is going on. Lore in Lord of the Black Sands by Miko Calio. And then ending again on the Isle of Kortos with the Apocalypse Prophet by Liz Liddell. Uh, which take all the way 18th through 20th level of that last one. Um, that is sort of the, the whole, the whole arc of Extinction Curse. Stopping the Extinction Curse and if the PCs do so and Make make sure that the life on the Isle of Cortos remains, then they can play. They can play the next Hold on. AP. Oh, I want to interrupt real quick. Um, one of the things that we've referred to Absalom as the city at the center of the world for a long time, and in our print products, we've done very little. Um, or play has played in Absalom quite a bit. Um, but one of the things that we're doing with establishing, looking around the Isle of Cortos, and then you center into something is more dealing with the city is what Patrick's about to What I'm about to talk about is called Agents of Edgewatch is the AP coming up after Extinction Curse, whereas Extinction Curse takes you around the Isle of Kortos, kind of uh, takes you around the hotspots around Absalom, which is the city at the center of the world. Uh, Agents of Edgewatch takes you into the city itself where you play as uh, members of Absalom's Guard, the newly established Edgewatch, which is overseeing the Precipice District during a uh, basically a World's Fair. We call it the World's Fair. But uh, and your your guards during that time. So uh, so the six adventures for that, which were just announced, are uh, the first one will be Devil at the Dreaming Palace, which uh, takes you kind of your rookie cops on new on the scene. Uh, there's missing people. What's going on? Oh, I don't know. We better look into it. And then that. Uh, unfolds into a larger criminal plot, obviously, which leads you into the second uh, volume, which is called 60 Feet Under. And then uh, that takes you around the Ascension Court kind of area where there's all the, uh, you know, uh, temples to all the gods that have ascended uh, via the Starstone Cathedral. And uh, third uh, volume is called All or Nothing. That takes you to the Docks District where you're doing some uh, uh, interesting heist work. You're kind of uh, running a sting operation as uh, members of the City Watch. The fourth volume is called, and Ron, you told me this would happen that I'd forget them. I was like, I got them all on the top of my head. You forgot the. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. You forgot the one I I'm writing. I was just teasing. <laughs> I was just teasing. Yeah. Well, the he first, was just throwing it to you. That's you right. No, no. Yeah. The fourth one is written by the very talented Ron Lundeen. It's called Assault on Precinct. Or not Precinct. <laughs> no, that's right. Assault on Hunting Lodge 7. Uh, can you guess where the title maybe borrowed its uh, inspiration from? Um, and the fifth one is called Belly of the Black Whale. That will be written by Cole Cronwitter, uh, one of our PFS authors who is, uh, has ascended to uh, AP writing. The sixth one will be written by another uh, person who hasn't written an AP before, uh, Amber Stewart, uh, who wrote uh, Book of the Damned Three. The sixth one is called Runes of the Radiant Siege. And I didn't name the first three authors. The first author uh, is James L. Sutter. The second author is... Uh, uh, 
Michael Sayer, and the third author is uh, Jason Ely. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, it will be the first AP where you, uh, first AP where you're in Absalom, first AP where you're playing members of the city guard. It's kind of a fun twist on the usual formula. Um, one of the first scenes is uh, there's some rabble-rousing uh, adventurers, some rookie first level, a wizard, you know, an elven wizard, some dwarven fighter. They're making a mess in the tavern, and uh, where usually, usually you'd be the uh, those rabble-rousers. You're the cops that got called in, and you have to solve that peacefully. So it's kind of a fun twist on a familiar formula, and we're looking forward to seeing how it goes. It's also all urban, and you never leave oh, the yeah. city. Oh, yeah, never leave the city. That's right. All Absalom all day. So, yeah, you get to one of the main objectives is to, you know, be able to go and see the different districts. Absalom is com composed of like nine or so different districts. Don't quote me on that number. But, uh, you know, and you start in the uh, newly revived Precipice District, which was destroyed in an earthquake about 15 years ago. And uh, it's just been a it's just been a real, real bad scene for the past 15 years. Undead walking around, all that stuff. And so it seems like the perfect place to host a World's Fair. So uh, you get to, you know, make do crowd control, you know, you know, just uh, yeah, it's help. urban renewal. That's, That's right. Okay. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's urban renewal, and then yeah. So you're you're you know managing the day to day little crimes that go on, but uh, quickly unfolds into a much larger plot. Spare the spare the details. With these these both of these adventure paths together are really counterpoints to each other intentionally mm -hmm. so because in Extinction Curse you'll go all over the Isle of Cortos, but n none of the zero of the action takes place in the city of Absalom. Uh, in fact, all the way throughout, one of the things that your characters are aspiring to do is to be good enough to perform in the city of Absalom for the big crowds that are there. But you don't go there in the in Extinction Curse, but you don't ever leave it in um, in Agents of Ezwatch. In Extinction Curse, yeah, without without you know painting circus people with a single brush, let's just say that leaning towards chaotic is totally fine. Whereas, Whereas agents of Edgewatch, uh, obviously, you would hope that the uh, law would be lawful at least. So maybe, yeah, it can be compared a little bit to like Skull and Shackles. That was hard to play a paladin in, in a pirate adventure. Whereas this one might be a little bit harder to play an anti-paladin, I guess. Um, you know, so yeah, it's interesting that way to play with these uh, sorts of paradigms and assembling a group of PCs that all have a common ethos. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So most of this panel, uh, we were hoping to shoot to the audience, but uh, we could—I mean, we could wax all day poetic about the APs. But I'm sure you'd love to ask your questions. If you would like to do so, please step up to the mic. One of the things I do want to warn everyone here and our Twitch viewers that since we're talking about a whole bunch of different APs, um, there's going to be spoilers. So sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Already sorry, not sorry. Yeah. <clears throat> How's it going? Great. Mm -hmm. Uh sorry, how, how we're, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, could you rephrase it? Certainly. The second edition conversion uh required that you make decisions on here's how past adventure paths have resolved. Hmm. Knowing that you're gonna have to make that kind of decision in the future, uh, is that coloring any of your design decisions for the current adventure paths that you're working on? I don't think so. Well, I think we uh, always kind of knew in the back of our heads that we would, you know, 
in every adventure path, something happens. The world is about to end in six months, you know. So you better tune in and uh, save it. And and I think we always knew that we would uh, incorporate those into a greater story. For instance, with Shattered Star, that kind of took place right after Rise of the Rune Lords. So uh, you know, we played with that idea at that point. That was five years ago or so. So we played with the idea that there will be long-lasting repercussions based on these adventure paths. And how do we want to resolve that? You know, who wins? The bad guys win. Um, so going forward, yes, I, I think we are definitely thinking about that in terms of you know which uh, what resolution do we want from each of these these and what's gonna how's that gonna affect the future? It won't. Uh, I think we'll stick with the same formula of assuming uh, you know that the world won't change every six months. You know what I mean? So it'll be a cons yeah. The, her the heroes win. But what the effects of that victory is could be some un unintended or unexpected consequences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or different varying degrees of winning. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Hey. Yeah, this is another question that has to do with the ways um, that um, adventure paths end. In a lot of the um, older adventure paths, this kind of stopped with War for the Crown, I believe. You had a section at the end called What if the PCs lose? Um, I was wondering, um, why is it that um, that was not included in either Tyrant's Grip, War for the Crown, or um, Return of the Rune Lords? And most of all, I was wondering, what do you envision happening if Tarbafom actually wins in, um, in Tyrant's Grasp and does make it to the Starstone Cathedral? Yeah, that's a good question. I sure hope he doesn't. Um, <laughs> that would make the, our IPs a lot, that, a lot that, of trouble. It would make it, yeah, both, both of the uh, adventure paths were doing sort of rough if he's uh, cracked open the Starstone Cathedral and gained the power of a god. Um, we, we didn't, the reason that we didn't do, specifically, I can speak to Tyrant's Grasp, the reason we didn't have a concluding the campaign for, actually, I think I can speak to Return of the Rune Lords as well. That's the one, that one goes all the way to level 20. And so providing additional adventure content for your characters and the continuing of the campaign articles that provides additional content is where the what if the PCs lose section appears. We didn't have an article of that type when you go all the way to level 20. We don't anticipate an article of that type in second edition because they'll be going all the way to level 20. With Tyrant's Grasp, instead of that article, we devoted absolutely as many pages as we could to letting our developers, all of our develop many developers as wanted it, to have their sort of last first edition say. So the whole last vol last 28 pages of that is all the developer showcase where each of us got a page, usually two pages, in order to do something that we, knowing we would never get another chance in first edition to, to show off. The, the what if the PCs lose and Tarbophon cracks everything open and becomes a, becomes a god uh, isn't something that we, we put in for that reason. If you're, I mean, if you're asking me myself, then it's probably you're running a very different type of campaign than any of the stuff that we're going to be set up to run for in second edition. There's not, uh, I guess, plenty of places you can go for that if you want to have sort of a substantially darker and grittier tone in your gaming at all going forward. It kind of turns the whole world into Ustalav if uh, a lich <laughs> becomes so, a god, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so yeah. space reasons, really. Yeah. This next. They're asking about for more for the crown. What happens then? We did we did have a what happens afterward, and the way that we structure that what happens afterward is what type of ruler does Utropia become, and some of those 
built on what type of ruler she would become if the PCs were just bloodthirsty murderers all the way through or totally failed to complete several of the objectives. So the what happens then is whichever of those three results is the bad one, and I don't remember off the top of that, but that's functionally the continuing the campaign or what if the PCs lose, is if the ruler that they've been spending the whole campaign setting up is a really bad one. Okay, this next question is from Twitch. Uh, Rogue Galaxy wants to know, how do you scale an adventure path for small groups, like one or two players? Hmm. Maybe a buddy cop in Edgewater? Oh yeah, I would love that, yes. <laughs> it struck my heart, yeah. Um, uh, I would say, uh, you know, I, I mean, the easy answer is half the monsters. Um, that's not a very satisfying answer. Uh, you know, I, one of my favorite groups from back home I ran with just two of my buddies, and uh, what that offers you, as opposed to a group of like four or five players, is a lot more intimate setting, a lot more role playing, right? You get to know the character, you get to know, there's only two characters really, so two main characters, so you get to know them a lot better, like a buddy cop movie. Um, so I would say, you know, I think for Agents of Edgewatch, that would be, that'd be a great way to, uh, to, to plot it out. You know, um, you wouldn't go full diehard, right? Because that's like one one cop um but yeah you know you could do a lethal weapon thing you could do a uh rush hour thing i don't know yeah um all sorts of stuff i would look i i i could talk about movies all day um but uh you know so that was a big inspiration and, for a lot yeah, yeah. yeah and i do yeah yeah really i think I, I don't think that question is a is adventure path specific it's for any adventure mm -hmm. and this is more like gm advice than adventure path yeah conversation um it's it's different depending it, how you adjust that for half the anticipated players is dependent on a particular encounter, what the class makeup is. It's, I mean, it, so, yeah. there's a dozen well, factors. One, one way that it does factor into Adventure Paths, uh, the way that I've run Adventure Path, the last several Adventure Paths I've run, is we have the points at which the advancement track, which is the points at which you are expected to level up. Uh, I ignore those. And I simply level up my players based on sort of my experience of the game when I think they will best meet the challenges as written. And if that means for a smaller group they are higher level than the actual adventure path says, or for a large group or a particularly powerful or very very super skilled broken group that they are substantially lower level than the adventure anticipates. And I just adjust that sort of. Thing. That's a good tip. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could basically make them higher level with a smaller group and have have the encounters the same with these new adventure paths it seems that uh, and especially with the new rule system that you're you're kind of limiting more the scope to a to a smaller area or a, a smaller you know um, uh, outcome uh, you know you're not going to hell to you know stop some guy from instilling himself in the land or or something along those lines do, do you feel that the reason or do you agree with that assessment? And 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 secondly, was that a conscious choice that you you would want to kind of scale it back a little bit and then and then expand as your second edition books start coming out? Uh, well, with Age of Ashes, the outcome of that is a very world impacting one. Uh, spoilers again, but if Dayhawk gets out, uh, then that's not good news for the entire material plane, right? So I would disagree to a certain extent. Um, it does, you know, uh, I can see what you're saying though in terms of the Isle of Cortos uh, being obliterated of of life. Uh, it doesn't affect the rest of the world. I mean, it does because the biggest city in the inner sea was 
Android, so trade is shattered. Um, you know, uh, all sorts of stuff happens as a repercussion. But um, I think it wasn't. I speaking for myself, it wasn't a entirely conscious decision. It just seems that. Uh, you have every six months, like I was saying earlier, every six months the world's about to end. That uh, that's kind of a uh, that's kind of a, a trick that doesn't I don't know lend itself to going every six months, right? Right, right. I think it's a, the ending serves the stories that we want to tell, and if the stories that we want to tell are ones that have a more zeroed in scope, then the ending is going to seem less world impacting. And if the stories that we're telling, Age of Action being a fine example, mm -hmm. Tyrant's Grasp being a fine example, mm -hmm. they could have much broader, more dramatic. Mm -hmm. conclusions so some stories we want big endings some stories you know it's, it's cool all, to make it narrow all stories are big endings for that's, the heroes that's right right that's that's right. That's, that's the important thing you're building in yeah uh the starfinder adventure paths experimented with uh three issue story arcs is that something you guys are also going to try or are you happy with the uh six issues there's no current plans but it's not off the table mm -hmm. That was fast. Uh, next question comes from Twitch. Uh, TRDG11 wants to know if there'll be any mini games in either of these upcoming APs for the party to get into. I'm thinking maybe they're talking about subsystems, perhaps? Probably. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're part of a traveling circus, I mean, this is a good point to yeah, talk about, like, our roles, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's true, actually. We'll let, uh, I'll, I'll let Patrick go into more detail. Sure. But one, one of the things that we do, that we've done with a lot of the adventure paths. We have a developer who is primarily focused on the adventure development and any of the back matter sort of monsters or articles that are significantly load-bearing for the adventure itself. If you look at a lot of our past adventure paths, they'll take place in or around a specific town and then we'll have like a six-page gazetteer of that town. The developer who develops the adventure almost certainly develops that gazetteer as well because everything going on in the town matters a lot in the adventure. But if we have another article about the role of Rexhauses and Galarian, right, that's, that would be developed by the one of us that's taking sort of the back matter role. And we've been switching on this one. Yeah. So I'm, I'm the, for Extinction Curse, I'm the adventure development lead and Patrick is the back matter development lead. And then for Agents of Edgewatch, it's the other way around. The reason we do that is because like, while you're developing the adventure, I'm outlining the next one. And uh, while I'm developing my adventure, you'll be outlining that. And that's a little bit less uh, onerous. It takes less time. So you have time to do the back matter. I don't have time to do the back matter because it just works out time -wise. And it's impossible for a developer to develop a 96-page. Yep, in a month. Yep. <laughs> that is a month. I mean, we could if months were 45 days long. That's, yeah, I think yeah, we can yeah. actually do it. Okay, yeah, that's that's good. Good. do it. We've been so, spacing time. So will but, there be subsystems? Yeah. Yes, yes. So running, specifically running a circus. Uh, is a subsystem that I worked uh, that Patrick mm. sort of built from the ground up um, about how how to run a traveling circus, what it means to take the actions to prepare for it, to advertise it. Yeah, because it, you know you're adventuring all the time, but that's really your second job. Honestly, you're circus performers first and foremost, so you should. Well, you know, I mean, one one definitely has a more impact on the world than the other, but uh, you know, you want to be able to do a circus performance, and if if your player is like, well, I jumped through, I jumped through rings of fire, then uh, we want to make that. You know, how does that affect the crowd? What kinds of uh, you know dice should you roll to 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 determine if you're uh, going to be a successful performance? And that also has an impact on like how you're perceived in the areas where you're adventuring. So it does have a, an impact on the adventure itself. Um, but yeah, that would be the subsystem for Extinction Curse. Yeah, probably worth pointing out that we actually had a, several in-depth conversations with our design team as well mm -hmm. to make sure that the subsystem we were creating 
not not just hung together by itself, but hung together with the rest of the second edition rules in a in a in an intelligent, cohesive way. Yeah, absolutely. And for agents of Edgewatch, developing a subsystem is very onerous. So I think in general, we're uh, probably going to take some take a, take a take a break from that for uh, for one AP. So yeah, yeah. we're I think we're unlikely to keep adding subsystems in every adventure yeah. path. That just takes, especially now that we want to get more feedback from design on that, make sure it's mm -hmm. as, as as completely baked in with the rules as we can. Mm -hmm. There's only so many designers; like we can only pull on their time so much. So we're yeah. gonna. Yeah. So Extinction Curse has one, Agents of Edgewatch, mm -hmm. not so much. That said, there are like, you know, little things in each volume, of course. You know, there's victory point systems or like little mini games, of course. You know, that that stays the same. We each AP each volume has its own thing. Yeah. This is what I'm sort of curious about. Um, if you could add a seventh volume to any adventure path, either as a like end qual or like a mid or like a midway point between two adventures, which um adventure path would you give this seventh volume to? Ooh. Yeah, that's a good question. That is. Um, Ooh, I've got an answer. Go what? for it. Uh, Council of Thieves, because that was the first adventure path of first edition, and we hadn't quite figured out exactly how much XP you needed to get to, so you only got up to like 13th or 14th level. Wow. And by adding an extra volume to that, you'd have a, you'd get into higher levels and it'd be a lot more satisfying, I think. Mm -hmm. That's my answer. I'm going to say Hell's Vengeance. Uh, I think it's awesome that at the end of that one, you have you have you have crushed the leader of the uh, Glorious Reclamation. But not only are there more members of the Glorious Reclamation Reclamation to be crushed, you know, Yomade hasn't come down one way or the other on that. Maybe Yomade comes down in favor of what the Glorious Reclamation has been doing. Decides she's got to take maybe a more personal hand in these upstart uh, followers of Throne, and uh, it could put a pretty dramatic anti Iomade seventh volume in uh, at the end of Hell's Vengeance. I don't have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> the next question comes from Twitch. Uh, Davik the Gray Thirty Three asks uh, if there are any plans for an Alkenstar or a Mana Wastes adventure path. Please. Gosh. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, yeah, Hold yeah. on. Okay, calm down. <laughs> As we have the author of Wardens of the right. Reborn Forge. Forge. You guys, wow, yeah. what a mouthful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Good job, Patrick. Uh, well, speaking of movies, let me tell you about my favorite movie, Mad Max Fury Road. And I would love to make a Fury Road adventure path. I would love to do that. <laughs> yeah, we have, all, all of us have several ideas sort of burbling around in the backs of our heads and, you know, some, some, closer to being announced than others, but all of us sort of, you know, with a churning in the back. And I, I'm happy to let Alkenstar Man Waste churn here. Sure. <laughs> well, the trick with that, right, is that we want to, uh, uh, one thing we're thinking about is how can we uh, latch these products onto each other, you know? Um, so if we were to do an Alkenstar Man Waste thing, we would need the rules for firearms and, you know, uh, emerging technology in second edition, which we don't currently have so in what book would we release those rules and at what date would we do that and we want to build the ap into that date you know how else could we tie it another thing we're experimenting with is like having two ap's in the same uh region of the world so uh yours takes place in the isle of cortos mine takes place in absalom very close you know where else would we go around the mana waste would it be an x or geb kind of ap these are things we think about and it takes a while to come up with these uh you know it's a long-reaching thing we're looking at the future and we're determining 
you know, where's the game at? What rules do we want to incorporate? Is this the right time? Do we want to wait till we have other rules in place? Have we already touched on that region recently in another product? Um, there's a lot that goes into it. And like I said earlier, I would love to do a Fury Road AP. Yeah. <laughs> One of the other things that goes into it is some of the stories that we want to tell tied to this region would fit better in, a in one of our Pathfinder adventures mm -hmm. than in an adventure path. Right. And so yeah. maybe that's, you know, there's a lot of different ways we can visit some of these places we're mm -hmm. interested in visiting. Yeah. Uh, kind of tied into that. We've had a number of adventure paths that are like return to Sandpoint, return to return to Sandpoint. Uh, Long-term second edition plan, is it a few more of those return to or explore more of the new places we haven't ever had an adventure path in? I think some of that's still being determined. Um... I mean, a lot of the reasons that we have been to Varicia so much is because that's the baby of the creative director. So as someone who gets to make that call, sometimes that call gets made. <laughs> um, I know that a lot of the rest of us have our own little interests and our own little like places we want to play in the world. And kind of we just got to pitch to convince the powers that be yeah, we can go. Mauricia is a good example because it was the first AP, right? Rise of the Ruin Lords. You start in Sandpoint, and so it's when you mention Pathfinder. It was a even lot of before people. we had a world. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, we described Mauricia in like volume two or three, and uh, you know that we didn't have the rest of the map at that point. So uh, that's one reason we keep going back there is because it's kind of like our home base. It's uh, what a lot of people think of if they you know uh, saw Path if they they joined us when we started Pathfinder. They're like, oh yeah, it started. So all started in Sandpoint. So that's one reason we keep going to Sandpoint. I think um, you know, have we been to other places a couple times? Chiliax. Chiliax. I mean, Hell's yeah, Vengeance. Yeah. Hell's Rebels. Yeah. Hell's Vengeance. Kind of, kind of had a lot to say about Chelyak. We can't, we can't say yeah. we counsel of these. We can't say we wouldn't go back to Chelyak. Right. We've told a lot of stories there. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the one of the things I'm interested in personally is trying to do more with around the edges of the map, places we haven't been to, things we haven't seen yet. Um, just you know, off 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 the edges of the map in a way we've gone. Ruins of Aslan did that mm -hmm. in that direction, mm -hmm. Wester, westerly. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot. There's a lot in our world to see and do, and yep. a lot of it sparks our interest, sort of in, in individual ways. So. Yeah, totally. Well, this next question is from Twitch. Uh, Severin Laureate asks, "How much paperwork are we going to have to do in Edgewatch?" Oh, so much paper. Uh, plenty, all of it. Uh, <laughs> that's the best part. Don't you love that part of the movie uh, when they file the damage reports and stuff? Uh, uh, no, not too much paperwork. It'll be mostly action. <laughs> For a more serious question, also from Twitch. Uh, Stefan Rattermacher asks, will the backgrounds in Extinction Curse be circus roles like strongmen or clown, uh, et cetera, et cetera? Clown is one of the backgrounds I wrote for Extinction Curse, actually. Fantastic. You want to have your, yes. Um, it actually, it turns out that in the core rule, you open the core rule right now, one of the backgrounds you can pick for your character is Acrobat, which gives you circus lore as its, as its lore skill. Oh, oh, I'm leaning into that. There are going to be plenty of different options to get circus lore. One of the things that I love to do for this was to go into the uh, the background of actual circuses and their performances. So one of the backgrounds I put together, I don't know, it hasn't been through development yet, but somebody who is, for example, a butcher, not somebody who carves meats, but in, in old circus parlance, the butcher is somebody who goes up and down the stands trying to peddle cheap toys and bad food to get people to buy. <laughs> part of the background for the, um, uh, part of the background for the, for all of the characters together, is that there is there is a circus spoilers. There is a there is a circus that is run by somebody who is not at all good that the player characters left 
for, for very good reason. And so the background they have is what did you do in this other circus versus what are you want to do now that you're sort of on your own and creating your own new thing. So yeah, tons of circus stuff. Clown is, is one of them. <laughs> uh, this is sort of a question in regards to um, how you're going to be like redistributing like content from Adventure Paths. Um, will they be regularly reprinted in um, like a larger texts, as in the case was with the bestiaries in Pathfinder 1? Or um, are they primarily going to be their own thing? Are Adventure Paths going to contain a lot of class options regularly? And or and are and what are the odds of like given say like archetypes printed in a AP being reprinted in later books? This is a great question actually yeah. because one of our main goals with Second Edition uh, Adventure Paths is to tailor the rules content that we supply for players uh, to make it so that if you play the Age of Ashes uh, Adventure Path or the Extinction Curse or Agents of Edgewatch. Uh, you end up with archetypes, feats, spells, magic items that are super tied into that AP. And by 20th level, a piece, you know, a fighter, uh, Joe fighter, Jane fighter, uh, 20th level fighter by the end of Age of Agents of Edgewatch will look completely different than uh, Jane fighter from uh, Age of Ashes. So, you know, whereas in Age of Ashes, they'll have all the dragon slaying feats and uh, all sorts of, you know, swords made out of dragon hide and whatever, uh, you know, at the end of the uh, Edgewatch AP, they'll have, you know, all sort of an archetype based on non-lethal, you know, takedowns and sort of that kind of stuff. So we're definitely building the rules content in each volume with that in mind. How can we uh, tell our story better? How can we immerse the players and the PCs into this setting uh, and this setting specifically, you know, we're not trying to do generic, you know, generic rules content in each AP because that doesn't cement you into the story. We're trying to make it so when you play this story, you your character looks like they played this story. One of the things that lets us do this very effectively is the second edition concept of rarity, that every rules item is either commonly available to everybody, you don't even need to ask your GM, uncommon, meaning you have to have some way of getting access to it, or rare, which is the sort of things that's easiest for the for the GM sort of box away. Virtually all of the content we're putting into the backs of the adventure paths that's player focusing is in that uncommon range. And it's sort of things like, here's a bunch of new spells that your players can get. If you meet so-and-so, you know, she'll teach you the uncommon spells here. That's how you get access mm -hmm. on the uncommon access is by things you do in the adventure path. Um, and that allows us to put put a lot of player content in there, and it puts it in a way that's sort of controlled. Uh, the first volume of Tyrant's Grasp had a bunch of player-facing rules, which, which was fine, it was a good place to put them, but it didn't ever answer the question about how do the players even get this stuff? How would a player ever even see this stuff that's at the back of an adventure path? What we're doing with the adventure toolbox in the back of each of the adventure paths is saying, here's, here's thematic stuff, um, often, often usually tied to something that goes on this is how game has this is how you get it to your players mm -hmm. and one of the new th one of the things i really love about second edition now is that uh any character can take any archetype right there's not class archetype there's not you know swashbuckler archetype for rogues or whatever there's the swashbuckler archetype or for example you know whereas uh, or like for agents of edgewatch it would be like a non-lethal you know police officer archetype anyone could take that and um and you know it would it would say like Ron's saying you know if you meet so and so NPC the lieutenant so and so they will teach you the ways of this archetype um, and and so 
So what's really yeah, what I like about that is that rather than having to like you know make twelve different archetypes to hit every class, you can put one archetype out there, and then a couple people can take that. And that's another benefit of having the retraining rules hard baked into the rules from the beginning. Is it's you know uh, oh I'm tenth level, I don't really want to take a you know like oh this archetype would have been great if I had ten levels ago. Well, it's like well you can just retrain and you know rebuild it a little bit, and then there you go, you got it. And you're in it. Yep. yep. I think I also want to speak to one of the things that you had. The question about reprinting because mm. in the past we had taken like like psychopomps first appeared in a, in an adventure yeah. path and then graduated into a hardcover and because in first edition all of our hardcovers were very like setting neutral and <clears throat> so a lot of times when stuff would come from an ap into a hardcover product a lot of that flavor would be stripped with second edition we've got an entire chapter talking about galarian and the setting so that's setting and lore is all baked in to the rules as is. And another thing in Adventure Paths that we had to do is like if we wanted to reprint anything that wasn't from a hardcover book, we would have to, or include anything from a hardcover book, we'd have to reprint the entire feat or the entire spell or whatever. Um, now we're not going to have that. We can freely pick from whichever books. If it's a Pathfinder 2nd Edition book, we can just reference it and just do what we need to do so i don't think we'll be we'll still probably collect monsters for bestiaries but maybe not with as much frequency as we did in the past well the, and the monsters the monsters go the other they go the starfinder direction now right, right? in mm -hmm. that it used to be that the monsters in the back of adventure paths took up a two, took up two pages and when they if they graduated to a bestiary that kind of got mushed down to one page but many of the monsters we have in the back not all but many of the monsters we have in the back of adventure paths now are are on one page and so can easily graduate, either stay as a one-page monster or easily graduate to a two-page monster if they get picked up for a best year later on. And allows us to put more monsters in the back, which is yep. always fun. More monsters, more yes. Monsters. I know the Paizo staff has a lot of penchants for Easter eggs. Are there any ties between the Circus and Extinction Curse and the ones that we encountered in the old modules, Murder's Mark and the Heroine? Mm -hmm. Oh, is there... You certainly had those on your desk when you were writing the outline. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, having some of those themes, one, one of the things I look for is whether or not having some of the characters or the themes fit well for Extinction Curse. And so some of the places with the characters and themes I did, one of the themes that I that didn't fit well in Extinction Curse, well, I was given the opportunity to write for agents of Edgewatch and kind of snuck some of them in that way. So yeah, they'll show up actually throughout any any place they, they seem appropriate. The ones that are most appropriate, sort of a circus themed, yeah, you'll you'll see some of the, the um uh some of the some of the themes definitely and occasionally some of the people. Um but they'll come up they'll show up wherever they're they're they fit. The old modules. Yeah I was looking through all the old modules that frankly I that wasn't the extent of my research. There are a lot of old uh, uh, dungeon magazine modules that took place in circuses that were kind of fun and things like that. I did a lot of, not just historical, and I did more, probably a lot of research on this, thinking back. <laughs> not only was I doing my research for his vintage circuses, but also how vintage circuses have been portrayed in not just our, our role-playing game, but other role-playing games. So uh, that's, been, that's been part of the fun of doing that research. Um, this sort of ties into something that, I've, that I saw in Return of the Rune Lords and something that was actually discussed at a panel like this um, last year, and that is the idea of like other cre um, of like 
outsiders having been old enough to see like previous civilizations and have like picked up their advanced tech even though they've long fallen return of the rune lords part six has a boss fight against a vrock who like fought in ancient thassalon but is like wielding a firearm that's more advanced than anything on galerion um what is the whole story behind like how much are outsiders able to like freely like pick up tech from like a world that's like have risen and fallen in terms of like highly advanced machinery and bring it to a low tech world. I I don't know that specific thing, but generally, extraplanar creatures can just gate into pretty much anywhere on the material plane, and different places in the material plane have. It kind of remind me of like Rick and Morty a little bit when Rick will just like you know blast in and he'll come back with a serum from the future. You know, it's like yeah, that's what they do every day, um, and they're five thousand years old or whatever. Yeah, that's being immortal is pretty awesome. Yeah, that's one of the benefits of being an outsider. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, as as I think the answer is as the story demands. Right. I mean, that's probably the best way to put it. If we, yeah. If we if we needed something like that to be a plot point for one of the stories we were trying to tell, yes. Otherwise, I think it's probably safest to say the outsiders live and know what the heroes live and know just mm -hmm. because it's going to make them more useful as interacting with the heroes um, rather than stepping in to solve their problems or stepping to bring some strange technology that doesn't doesn't apply isn't isn't helpful to the story and it probably won't happen too often honestly because then it becomes a gimmick right like if if every if at the sixth issue of every ap an outsider came in with a space gun uh you'd come to expect that yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it yeah it really is whatever best suits the story like ron's saying yeah any other questions? What time is it? That's what I call audience participation. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Um, we'll chat some more. Oh, wait. we got 10 minutes left. That's usually when we break down, right? Well, I mean, if we were responsible in like that last yeah. panel, then we would end yeah, at an appropriate time yeah. to be here. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's any other questions. So. Yeah. So this is a... I've got one question. Okay. Let's do it. One last question. Obligatory, obligatory question about adventure paths. Like, do you plan on covering Galt, Jalmeray, or Tianja anytime soon? Nadal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't feel like Galt. The story that needs to be told for Galt is long enough for six volumes. It's so hard. I mean, it's just like a revolution every day. Yeah. How do you even talk about that? Yeah. <laughs> um, Jalmeray. Jalmeray is great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's where the Ruby, Ruby Phoenix tournament is. That there? I can't remember. Jalmeray <laughs> seems an important consideration if we're telling any story in Nexorgeb, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. that's how anything in Nexorgeb sort of gets transmitted to a lot of the rest of the world. I mean, it's, so it seems like that. So it, it's not that I'm being evasive. What I'm saying is, is as as those come up as need to tell, tell as need to tell the story, right? Or or would be sort of a natural outgrowth of the story that we're trying to tell. Um, then then they would come up. We do. Do we have a uh, John Ray themed adventure path that's we're going to announce right after uh, Agents of Edgewatch? Well, I mean, no, and we wouldn't say if we were <laughs> <laughs> or Night Out. We wouldn't. We wouldn't say until that time came. Um, and at, at uh, on one aspect, that's that's being coy. But on the but the more realistic one is that we want to make sure that the stories we're ready to tell and announce are ones that are sort of fully baked that people are really going to enjoy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that requires thinking all the way through a story and deciding it's not that story's time or that we could do it better if we waited or something like that. So that's one of the things that's always entertained me following the like. Every time we'll announce an AP, people will start like speculating about what's the one after that, or like a wish list of where they want it. And it's n almost never a story of this is the one where the PCs X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. It's always 
I just name a country. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like, yep. that's setting. That's not a story. Totally. So with, like, uh, Agents of Edgewatch, it's like, this is the one where the PCs are cops. You know, that's, like, a great thing. This is the one where the PCs are in the circus. I think the where it is is almost, I mean, it's It not, does flavor the narrative. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's not the driving right. part of the narrative. Yeah. So I think going forward, we're going to try and do that a little bit more. Yeah. It's like, think of the theme. What do, what do we want to evoke? What emotions? What... Uh, what movies, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah, what what do we want to play off of? Yeah, here's a, here's the uh, maybe a, the other way to think about this really resonated with me is if you're stuck in an elevator, somebody here at Gen Con who knows gaming but doesn't know Pathfinder at all, and you only have two sentences to tell them the adventure path, is it, are you going to hook them right? If if the way you're planning to hook them is well, we're doing this, uh, reigniting the war against Geb and Next, to use the example I just had, and the nation of Jalmare, which is sort of our quasi-India, is in the middle there. You're just right. going to get a puzzled look. Your grandma says, what are those? Yeah. 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 But we want to be able to say, this is this is the one about pirates. This is the one where you close the gate that's pouring demons into the world. This, this is, is the one where, set you know, in a zombie city, whatever. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. All right. Well, All thanks right. for coming, everyone. Yeah, really thanks, appreciate everybody. it. Hello everyone, I've got Patrick here with me. Uh, now Patrick is doing this Agents of Edgewatch and I am thrilled about this adventure path. As soon as I heard it, and especially the question that we just heard about you know running it with one or two players, mm -hmm. I immediately thought this is a perfect adventure to do your buddy cop film, but in Pathfinder. It what do you think? absolutely is. I mean, I kind of alluded to it in the sure. seminar, but I, I totally did like riff off of a lot of my favorite cop movies. Like right. I think about, you know, Die Hard or uh, the other guys, some like sure. these niche ones. Ones. Uh, but uh, you know, I think about in terms of like uh, Ocean's Eleven. You know, if you're doing a casino heist or like a sting operation, those kind of things. So uh, really, it, it came together with like, what are some awesome scenes like from cop movies or crime movies, dramas, whatever that we can and how can we make that into an AP? So I think it would lend itself really well to especially like a buddy cop thing if you want to do that, or even like you know a dynamic duo uh, kind of thing, like playing off each other. One's a foil, one's not. I think it would be really easy to turn that. Into into a very personal story about two cops or one cop or whatever, you sure. know, a trio of new new rookies. Yeah, I think it would lend itself well. And of course, one of the backgrounds has to be two weeks till to retirement, right? I, yeah, that definitely plays into it somewhere. Yeah, okay. <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Um, well, I know I'm looking really, uh, really looking forward to that one. Uh, I'm even like thinking about a group to put together. Right. So I just commend you on putting together such like engaging stories that gets people so excited. Oh, thanks. Really yeah, I mean, we're really excited to tell. I mean, uh, our mm -hmm. publisher Eric Mona, he came to me. He's like, we need to do one with cops and robbers, <laughs> and uh, it's got to be set in Absalom. Go. And so <laughs> it was really fun to take on that assignment and and uh, come up with a story for you know your cops and there mm -hmm. are robbers and you know that's really vague. How can we hone that in? And make that into our world. Maybe there's a cult of Norgber involved. Mm. Maybe you know because he's one of the ascended, so that plays into Absalom sure, really sure. well. You know, uh, what districts can we go to? What are the different cops in each of those districts mm -hmm. like? That obviously plays into it. Each you know, uh, maybe your background is you're from a different district, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm, right. So uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun to turn a really uh, action-packed you know kind of idea into a Galarian story. Okay. So now it seems to me, with all your mention of movies, that you yeah. like me uh, put a lot of emphasis on cinematic storytelling, Definitely. draw a lot from movies and cinema. Uh -huh. If you could take this adventure path and say it is most similar to what one movie or let's say genre would sure. you would you compare it to? Uh, I have a whole list actually of a movies. I mean, so for instance, Assault on Hunting Lodge 7, the fourth volume written by Ron, is a play on Assault on Precinct 13, which is a cop uh, movie, okay. you know, John Carpenter classic. Um, sure. I wouldn't, you know, that 
that uh, that volume is definitely playing on those themes. You know, mm -hmm. there's a scene where you defend the hunting lodge. Um, so uh, obviously, each volume has its own kinds of themes like that. Mm -hmm. You know, there's one where uh, you have to infiltrate a casino and go undercover, that kind of thing. I so see, okay. Ocean's Eleven. I would say there's but, probably six or seven different movies. Yeah, that that this plays into. And of course, a background that is they murdered your dog. Right. Oh right, yeah. Of course, yes. Of John Wick. And oh, the other one I had was Crank. Yeah. I would say yeah. Very like action-packed movies. You know, okay, great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, fantastic. Well, uh, looking forward to see how that one turns out, and uh, we'll see you later at the at the convention. Yeah, thanks so much, Vanessa. All right, thanks so much. See you at the next panel. And that was part of No Direction's 2019 Gen Con seminar coverage in partnership with Paizo. If you'd like to find more great content like this, go to NoDirectionPodcast.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon supporters for making content like this possible. If you'd like to support the network and see that future content is created, you can do so at patreon.com slash nodirection, or click on the Patreon link at nodirectionpodcast.com.